I'd like to thank our very top sponsors, Anders Berger Christensen, Fergus Ryan, and Dean Anthony for making this show possible. This evening we'll be talking about every painter's wet dream, staying in Italy for a year, studying masterworks in the collections. The Baroque, antique sculptures, and the frescoes of Pompeii. How has it all influenced tonight's guest? She embraces androgynity, cliches, and does not paint self-portraits for therapy. Helena Knop, welcome to the Cave of Palace. Thank you. I think we'll start this off with something I normally do in the middle of the conversation, a question from the audience. How is it to work with Odd Nerdrum? Uh, I used to work with Nerdrum for 20 years ago, and, and I think it, it was uh, fantastic. It made a very good uh, entrance for me into becoming a painter, mm. and um, and I have learned so much of him. Uh, everything from uh, technique, of course, but uh, music, literature, yeah. um, history, yeah. and uh, yes. And I, because I, I remember, came, I was the student at the time, and you, you were a student, uh, a student together with me at the last uh, two years, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I, well, I think we packed out everything from the studio in Oslo and <laughs> all of that. Yeah. Well, at least helped. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but but it, it, that's an interesting question. Now, you talked about literature, music, all these things around it. I, I talked with Stefan Bolter about that. How. Um, I think and almost the most important thing, of course, besides technique <laughs> and knowing the painterly, uh, painterly techniques, is that consciousness of uh, what you're doing. So I always like to ask, what do you think is the, the most important thing you learned from, uh, from Nudrum? Mm. I think it's not to, to kind of give up until you reach your goal, when mm. you should achieve something in your painting, and you have to believe in your theme. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's like if you see him struggle, still struggle with the painting, yeah. um, you understand it's not a quick fix. Right. You have to really work with your painting. Yeah, because I, I think... Um you know, coming there, I, I mean, if I can only speak for myself, you know, there's so many things you just sort of feel because that's the general culture of the time. And then you come there and you get sort of wake up calls all the time. Mm. <laughs> and um, I remember, I think the first time I visited before I had started a student, he was working on, um, he was working on, uh, uh, what was it called? The, the old man, the male, strip, male stripper had these two figures on each side and then I visited like half a year later and he had sanded down and painted over two of the figures that were finished mm. and that kind of tells you that uh, <laughs> you can do radical <laughs> changes to your work yeah that's true <laughs> you don't have to I mean I think uh, at least for my sake I had sort of this sort of this idea that you know the real master knows what to do and he just goes and does it from a to z and it's finished right mm. um, but of course we see in nerdrum work it's going there and there and back and around and it mm. goes a bit like that so. yeah um but, but i think the the main um uh the main thing i want to talk to you about is your year in italy 
And I don't know, we can go anywhere you want with that. How did it all come about? Maybe we should just start there. Well, it was, um, it was actually my very good friend, uh, art historian Teresa Sjöwald. Mm -hmm. she, was, uh, she was going to, um, or she was about to write her PhD about uh, Queen Christine of Sweden, who um, moved to Rome and um, uh, changed her life situation quite radically. Mm. And, and this Queen Christina, she built up uh, uh, an art collection, not art collection, painting, sculpting yeah, collection yeah, yeah. in Rome. Um, and um, so she had to go anywhere to, to kind of dig into the, uh, the, into the archives in Vatican and other archives. And I said, I want, I want to come with you <laughs> because this is, this is really something I'm dreaming of. Yeah. Um, I think there's something there for me. So we decided yeah. to make our own grand tour, which is actually something you were supposed to do in a higher society in the old days, um, to make a grand tour, to kind of learn from the history, to visit the most important places, treasures, uh, uh, to see the most important um, arts of in, in many fields. Yeah. So, so that, that would be like for two, three years. So you did the sort of the short tour. Yeah, we did short. <laughs> no, actually, I was a little back and forward for five years, but not oh. permanently. Uh -huh, but okay, we okay. started in Rome and then I <coughs> later um, spent a lot of time in the south of Italy as well, okay. south of Naples. Uh -huh. so, um, but starting, yeah. starting with Rome, like, uh, so you get there and you get to, well, you get to access a lot of stuff you wouldn't normally do because of Teresa Chevalier? Yes, we were like, for example, um, uh, visiting Palazzo Farnese, which is now or has been for the last 200 years, uh, the French ambassador hmm. um, 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 uh, uh, of Rome. And uh, they have a Karachi fresco, uh, amongst others, which is very nice to look at. And, um, and so we were able to enter these um, palazzis and also other hidden collections and gardens which were in private uh, use so uh, and then they open up sometimes if you are like uh, a PhD student or if you're an art historian or if you're some somehow um, professional interested and not just a and you could tourist. get into that through uh, Teresa you, yes. that was no no problem yeah, yeah. so we had like a, a list every day what we're going to see uh, of course, <laughs> we always went through our churches. Uh, we had like a, our own tour, uh, and uh, and also visiting usually um, not every day, but almost every day a new palazzo or a new place, or um, trying to find treasures. Or, and also because of uh, Teresa's. Um, um, work. We of course uh, looked a lot about where Queen Christina, her um, former collection. It was it's like spread, and she uh -huh. had to kind of collect it back again. Okay, yeah. okay. But did, did you uh, like? How would you arrange your your actual day? I mean, I, I guess you got to work a bit as yes, well, <laughs> or just walking That's around. Where we had like uh, visiting. We started the day with visiting, and then. You're quite it's exhausted. Like that's what you do in Rome, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but we came, became quite good at it because uh, we knew when to avoid like tourist tracks and uh, to go, like for example, 
if you want to visit the Vatican, don't stand there at 7 in the morning. You have to go there 5 to 3 at, in the afternoon because then they close uh-huh. at 3.30. And you, there's no queue and you just go directly to what you're going to see, not look at everything. And then you go out. So again. literally you, you, you show up 5 minutes, minutes to 3. Kind of, yeah, <laughs> before closing time and just go directly. And they can't, um, you know, um, you, you, you're able to go through, but they don't yeah. let other people in after right. that. So. Because I had some weird experience there <laughs> taking some students. We went into where you get the tickets, but then we were told to go out and wait by some stairs. And we were going to someone who was going to contact us with some tickets or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it seemed like some mafia oh. thing. It was the weirdest thing ever. Yeah. Yeah, but but okay. So you, you first morning visit, and yeah, then... <laughs> the, we usually did this in the morning, as from the Vatican in the evening or in the afternoon, and um, and the side of visiting a lot of palazzos and have our, our own grand tour. We were actually cooking a lot, <laughs> not going out in restaurants. But yeah. Teresa she bought like a big uh, cooking recipe book in Italian because this is also something we were supposed to learn Italian. Mm-hmm. And cook in Italian, so we were like um, really going in the depths of in every, every ways. Um, and then also, I yes, of course, I worked. Yeah. <laughs> I was um, in the beginning. I was uh, copying uh, Caravaggio painting um, Narcissus, which is in uh, the Barberini Palazzo. Oh, yeah. Um, how, so how did you go about that? Was that uh, difficult uh, to uh, get a yes doing that? Well, the, the thing is, uh, it's, a, it's a lot about hierarchy, 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 yeah. hierarchy yeah. in Rome. So um, it's not like in our country, Norway, just like call the director and say, hello, can I come by? <laughs> you have to talk with first the one on the bottom, which talks with the one on the top. And then maybe after a long time, you get the answer mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so I was in the end able to copy this painting and it's actually in a palazzo which is not so much um, um, visited as the other places mm. so I was standing quite uh, much alone right. yeah is that where they have the Raphael the, the Pope portrait too? yes yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. of Panini yeah. mm. mm. right but is, okay you started the application process then well in before came, yeah. came to Rome. <laughs> we started a lot of applications before we came. This is also something Teresa she knew about. So she right, like yeah. worked a lot before we came down. <laughs> to, we are coming. We need this. <laughs> so, yeah, but okay. So, so speaking of Caravaggio, then, but uh, didn't you copy several Caravaggio? Caravaggio no, was it was one? only only this one. Okay, but um, I have copied. Uh, Rubens in Kunsthistorisch Museum in Wien, Vienna. But okay. that was another time. But that's interesting. So, okay, so what did you learn from, uh, just sort of pause on that. What did, you, what did you learn from Caravaggio and from Rubens? Did you see any sort of similarities, differences, or like, what was your takeaway from that? Well, I would say uh, this Narcissus is not actually typical Caravaggio. No. Uh, it was, uh, it's not as bold uh, as the later ones maybe, or maybe mm. the one he's best known of. Mm. So I don't think I really, I don't felt I was going into Caravaggio's technique, mm-hmm. but uh, copying in general is very good because you have to somehow put away the way you usually paint and mm. try to adopt the method, the painting you see in front of you are, mm. are made mm. 
Um, so is there anything specific then that you still got from copying Caravaggio? Like, um, I think what I really um, was interesting is that it was quite thin painted. It was not thick. Yeah. So uh, it, yeah, especially this painting. Uh -huh. Did you see anything about the ground or like there's those kind of aspects? Did I, because I think that was an issue. Didn't someone criticize you when you were copying Rubens for using the wrong ground? Yes, was yes. That? It was somebody who did that and said, you are not using yes, the wrong red color. Yeah. It was very specific about that. And um, Because in Vienna, yeah. you copied which one by... It's called Het um, Pelchen, the, the woman with the fur, yeah, yeah. which was Rubens' um, uh, <laughs> last wife. She was 16 and he was uh, 65. Uh, and then, and this painting he actually painted himself because uh, um, Rubens he, he had a big um, studio with a lot of uh, um, students kind mm. of who, who worked for him. Mm. And usually he painted the sketch and gave it to his students and said, "Please make it this big, three times four meters." And but this one was his own wife, and it's that's why it's kind of you know he's painted it himself, and it's much better than mm -hmm. other ones. Mm -hmm. What was your takeaway from that? Uh, anything specific you noticed? Yeah, I think um, what I struggled with is was two two things actually. Um, one thing is uh, today's museum is very nice, light lit it up, but it's difficult to <laughs> to see your own paintings. Um, oh, okay, okay. But a other lot of than that, glare and. Uh, yeah, it's so it's so dark. You can't okay. really see your color. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice to see yeah. the painting, but uh, but when I kind of um, found out that I was trying to find the same skin color as he has, because that's typical for Rubens. It's a very precise way to paint skin. Mm. It's like here you have the flesh color, and then you have the highlight, and then the green. Yes, yeah, so, so it's very, very, very local color, like directly added. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, or did it work in in layers in the in the sense of sort of planning more different layers? Was it more sort of from A to C? Kind of yes, kind yeah. of from A to C. Yeah. Because I was thinking I actually should copy Titian, which is my favorite painter, which is also in Kunsthistorisch Museum. Mm. Um, yeah, the infant shepherd. Uh, the infant shepherd yeah. amongst there's many paintings there, but. It's like, I don't think it's possible to copy it because I knew it was so many layers. Mm. And but It would have to be some kind of a study to just sort of go more into it and discover some things without really expecting to make a copy. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's a yeah. study, not yeah, a copy. Yeah, 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 yeah. In that case, I think it would be. Did you yeah. see, uh, speaking of that one, did you see that that was before it was cleaned, wasn't it? Uh, Nymph and Shepherd. Um, I think because I've seen it both before and after, yes. Yeah, but when you copied it, no, when you were there copying Rubens, I mean. It was already cleaned, yes. Okay, yeah, because that freaked me out. I, I mean, because I, I, I've studied a couple of times in Vienna. Mm. Uh, um, and uh, I remember writing, because it, one time it wasn't there, I was going back, I think, and I write, wrote them and asked where it was, and she wrote, uh, it's a Teil eines wissenschaftliches Projekts, mm. part of a scientific project. And I was thinking, what the hell are they doing to do it? Giving us some mm. shots of what's mm. going on. But I was, uh, actually they were, I think they've been fairly good with that because it's, I mean, if you think about the, the Sixteen Chapel, mm. that's a 
that's you know iconoclasm mm. in 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 practice. But I think they were quite uh, quite good with it. Yeah, oh, with that one. Yeah. Yeah. But okay, that's sort of on a, on a side note. But hmm. okay, so what did you experience copying uh, Rubens then? No, it it was. I think the most important thing was um, uh, the white, the whiteness or the, the whiteness in the color, oh, because what? he used lead white, and yeah. uh, and I couldn't use lead white then. Mm. Um, I have never used it actually, but I really, I would like to try it, but I haven't done it, and I think it's. It's not it's not possible to achieve the same fleshy oil. It's special this lead white. Mm -hmm. I can't des describe it, but yeah, I haven't used it myself either. But uh, what they talk about it is some some more transparent or more. Um, is that is that the right word? Right no, it has this yellowness in it, and it's very oh, okay. it's very rich in its mm. whiteness, if you can say mm -hmm. it that way. Mm. Okay, yeah. But the, the the painting technique itself, did you learn anything from Rubens? Yeah, I learned uh, maybe kind of the opposite of what I've been doing until then, like um, uh, going back and forward and layers and take it off. It is very from from A to Z kind yeah, of. Yeah. And sometimes it's useful to to do this as well. Mm. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so okay, so traveling back to Rome, <laughs> you're you're in Rome. You copy that painting. Did, did you get to copy, or did you draw like in, in different collections, or what? Like how did you do? Yes, that? I was uh, I was drawing in uh, Villa Borghese, mm -hmm. where they have uh, uh, lots of things. But one of them is there. Yeah, because that's where I thought you had were copying Caravaggio. But oh, yeah, no, that, that's more. Uh, let me think. No, they have. Um, I don't think they have Caravaggio there. Yeah. No, they, no, they do. They have the Madonna uh, with the Christ child stepping on the the snake. No, that's in. Um, Am I mixing up? That may be right. <laughs> 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 I have to think. But they also, but I, but that was I was not copying that. Oh. I was, um, I was uh, drawing um, the Bernini sculpture of um, Persephone, mm -hmm. who is drawn oh. by. Hades, is it? And uh, Apollo and Daphne. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is uh, two special sculptures because uh, Benini, he was well known to carve the marble so nice that you can like, it's like a leaf, mm -hmm. so thin, mm -hmm. without, you know, <coughs> breaking something. And mm -hmm. So the marble becomes, becomes almost transparent when you look at it. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it's and so beautiful from all sides. It's sort of the Rubens of uh, sculpture in some way. I mean, it's like he was more or less completely dominant in Rome and in the 1600s when it comes to, you know, well, making uh, sculptures for you know, public buildings and, and whatever. Mm. Uh, but, um, yeah, and that's the one thing. I mean, we have this one. Uh, uh, this is Clio. This is Clio. The Amuse. And we'll save that a little bit for later, but uh, just as an example of how you've been influenced more or less directly by the things that you saw in Rome. Because when you talk about um, uh, Apollo and Daphne, for example, you did uh, you did a version. Well, you did also the one on uh, on um, uh, oh my God names. This is uh, sculpture. 
Yeah. Um, uh, with the woman, uh, Pygmalion. Pygmalion, yes. And the sculpture. Well, Pygmalion yeah. is the man, actually, but... Uh, yeah. yeah. But... Uh, yeah. I've done two Pygmalions now. Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. But, yeah. Mm. So, how did you... Uh, you were just sort of amazed by that sculpture and wanted to do the same thing? Or, like, how did you think? Um, I actually haven't seen... Uh, Sculpture of that. Um, no, but I mean, that came out of being influenced by or seeing a lot of sculptures in Rome at that time. Uh, is that correct? Or? This painting is more influenced by maybe uh, actually other paintings made of oh, this yeah, story. Yeah. But in mm -hmm. general, you were right. Mm -hmm. uh, I was looking at um, a lot of uh, antique sculptures, actually. Mm. Well, it started, it started with when we came to Rome. We were thinking about the Baroque because Rome is yeah. Baroque, um, kind of. We should, On the top layer, it's like a cake. You see, the glaze is the Baroque. And you start to take a piece <laughs> of the cake. <laughs> this is completely hedonist. I, I, I reject all kind of hedonist language. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, you yeah. find that it's, you know, it's even better inside, mm. kind of. Or it's like you, you thought it was Baroque inside, but it's not. So you, you come to the Renaissance. Yeah. And you dig further, further behind. Yeah. So, <clears throat> for example, there's a church called, uh, I think it's called Church San Clemente, mm -hmm. which okay. is based on a, a Roman villa in the bottom. And then it's like the Byzantine style upon that made an early church. And then uh, you have like the Renaissance uh, or the Middle Age uh, yeah, not so mm. interesting, uh, some sculptures. And then you have all the way up to the Baroque, of course, uh -huh. inside one church. Okay. So, and this is actually, many churches are built this way. So the, the facade is usually Baroque and behind it's uh, all the down to the crypt. You can like go further back in history. Uh -huh. And it was the same thing about sculptures. I was coming to Rome because I was interested in Caravaggio, for example. And, and I looked a lot on Caravaggio. But then I also uh, came, a part of it was actually, I didn't, I wasn't aware it was so many sculptures, mm -hmm. especially in the Vatican, you have a huge collection. Yeah. They have a huge collection of everything, but a lot of antique sculptures. And... Um, and and for me this was uh, they were li like um, what do you call it the fulfilled they were like the perfect um, examples of uh, human body mm. compositions uh, expressions um, movement movement yeah so I kind of uh, have taken a lot of antique sculptures and also what do you call it sculptures based on antique ideas made mm. by all Burnley. the way up to yeah. Canova yeah. Yeah. and made uh, paintings out of them. Mm -hmm. So my models is actually antique sculptures in a way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think uh, <coughs> you did in some cases more or less base yourself directly on specific uh, compositions or, or, or sculptures, right? Yes, uh, like Apollo. There's a sculpture called Apollo Belvedere. Mm. He became my Apollo in the Nine Muses. Yeah. And all of the Nine Muses are based on... Right. Um, not fresco, but... A f um, what do you call it? Friezes? Yeah. Painting mm. fr uh, 
sculpture friezes mm. and as well as small terracotta uh, figurines of muses because the muses were you know it's, it's known from the antiques so they made small sculptures of mm. them. Uh, uh, just to understand you correctly, you, that you saw small friezes in the Vatican and that inspired you? or, or? Uh, I saw, uh, no, it's, uh, I saw the directly <coughs> sculptures of muses, mm -hmm. but more like small ones, like mm -hmm. figurines, like oh, this yeah. one, terracotta. Oh, some of them can be, yeah. And on, on like, um, uh, as a relief, as yeah, a yeah, relief. Yeah. relief. Mm. That's a relief. Uh, sculpture, that's a sculpting <laughs> relief. Um, uh, have you seen those? Part of other bigger um, tombs and things like this. Yeah, and that's one thing I noticed <coughs> also by speaking of that, how you can find treasures in sort of small uh, mm. uh, 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 sort of miniatures or, or smaller things. Um, I remember when I st uh, studied, at, well, uh, at the same time as you, um, that Adnery was, was looking at these sort of small images around icons, hmm. small scenes around icons. I could find not specific subjects, but, but ways of sort of posing hmm. figures next to like each other. Like a cartoon. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's a cartoon. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, that's also the, the fundamental, but, uh, or the similarity between all these things that you need to know the rhythm of the, of the figures and how they relate to each other so that you can tell the story in the best possible way. Mm. Um, but you mentioned the muse, uh, muses, you're interested for, of the muses. Uh, maybe we should devote some time to, well, to the muses. just what it is and like where you saw mm. them and what specifically and why you wanted to do it. Mm. Because we d you've done a series of... I've done, uh, well the muses are um, originally <coughs> uh, nine, mm. uh, nine muses and uh, it is said that they are um, they were um, water nymphs or something, and they were yeah. uh, inspiring other poets, uh, other craftsmen, uh, everyone who deals with the arts or science. Uh, they kind of inspire them. Mm -hmm. But uh, the the what's called the history behind it is, I think, it was Zeus who had uh, Zeus. I mean Zeus. Mm. Uh, he had uh, nine passionate nights with Menemesina. Mm another god, goddess, and from that these nine daughters came. Mm -hmm. And um, so that is like <laughs> how they were born. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but uh, they, ha they have been very important for, um, you know, Homer has been talking about them, and uh, uh, Dante has been talking about them, and it's kind of you call upon them every time you're supposed to start a new work and or like mm. get uh, mm -hmm. uh, inspired they're kind of uh, are the personification of inspire inspiration yeah that, that's like also um the the different uh, um uh, sketches so to speak for for the victor Hugo monument by rodin mm -hmm. you see these muses sort of whispering in his ear and yeah the, maybe uh, yeah 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 that that oh, okay yeah they, they have been uh, used uh, all in, in theater and mm. in, in for other sculptures, you know, the yeah, woman it, who's whispering to the man. But, but it was um, uh, 
I lost my track. No, no, no. okay. So, so yeah. like with just uh, a sh very short introduction while well, you talked about what the muses are. Yeah. Uh, this is Cligioi. Uh, we don't have to have sort of a lecture on what no. each name or whatever, but, uh, no. but like just a general idea of what it, what it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe we could talk about, about Clio then since we. Yeah. Well, we have I'm just here. saying one thing about the, the muses is like all the, um, the words like mental. Uh, museum mm -hmm. uh, to amuse all these yeah. things derives from muses right. to be amused or because it's it it means mental because the, the memory or the mental because, yeah, because museum and museum is, is the memory of something yeah the memory which you are presenting so the museum it derives from muses yeah but isn't mnemosyne uh, that Zeus had them with? Isn't mnemosyne? Uh, she was that, the memory. That means memory. Yeah, is, she. Is that... I think she was. Uh, that means memory, yes. Yeah. And the daughters were. Yeah. So what are the different muses you sort of getting? Oh, I don't remember of all of them, but uh, th this is Cleo, and mm. she is. Um, she's the muse of history. Okay. So she kind of. Uh, uh, celebrates uh, the, the, the knowledge of, or a of memory his, of history. Yeah. Yes, that's why she yeah. holds the book. Yeah, uh, and um, I don't. It's a special word for her. it's. It's not like a pencil she has in her mouth. Is it stylus? Stylish. Yeah, yeah. yeah stylus. Yeah. Stylish. Stylus. 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 Yeah. Mm. And and you have um, uh, other muses which are. Um, a tragical music, tragical music, and uh, for tragedy, writing tragedy, tragedy writing yeah. tragedy, and poetry muse, mm -hmm. and you have the muse for music, mm -hmm. uh, for science, mm -hmm. and for um, uh, and history. I think. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Did I have all of them? <laughs> well, people can yeah. look it up themselves. And, yeah. and you have yeah. at the end the tenth person mm -hmm. is Apollo. It's the leader. Mm. Yeah, why is it the leader? It doesn't say so much. It's just that they met at the Helicon uh, oh. mountain and joined together. He was like the leader, <laughs> maybe because he was yeah. he was he was the god of many things, but mm. uh, music was one of them. Mm -hmm. And yeah. they like always like dancing behind him with after his salida or yeah. Uh, yeah. So okay. I'm not really sure how they connected, but. Uh -huh. uh, but then, did you then uh, base yourself on specific models, like for this one, <coughs> on the specific uh, uh, images or, or friezes? Um, they've all been physical models, uh, not mm -hmm. just from my memory. No, no, but, yeah. but like the the, the pose. The, the, the pose. Um, let me think. I think it's I, it's a mix between sculptures I've seen and. Um, yeah, I think more or less sculptures. Yeah, mm. because it's uh, we're sort of also drifting into uh, well, you were, were sort of going back and forth to Italy over the mm. course of five years, and you went to Pompeii as well. Yes, as, uh, am I right? Uh, that was also a major thing for you, or was that just sort of one of the things you saw? Because it seems to be very much based on the whole uh, Pompeian thing. Well, especially the Villa of Mysteries. Right? Yes, it's the yeah. Villa of Mysteries. Well, yeah. it's. It was color. something I did. Um, yeah, it's it's. Uh, have you been to Pompeii? No, no, because Pompeii is it's not so interesting actually. To mm. be honest, it's mm. a little. It's a it's a city, mm. uh, which was digged up and mm. and like kind of left from how it was and a lot of ruins, 
some beautiful houses, but it, it's nothing is really intact. Everything is ruins. Uh, do you say ruins? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, and then uh, we saw a sign which like Villa di Misteri, mm. House of Mysteries. Mm. And which is like a house or a villa a little outside of Pompeii. And uh, so we went there and this is actually, it was digged out or excavated um, later than Pompeii. And it's much better pre pre preserved, preserved yeah. than the other ones, mm. than the other okay. villas. Yeah, I've seen some, some uh, well, basically just sort of video material, but well, I did... We did go to Naples. Uh, mm. In uh, Herculanum, maybe? I've no, not no. been there, no, no. Uh, by the way, are there anything to see in Herculanum? Like Herculanum any? is also very... I haven't, like, I haven't I mean, seen it. I mean, in terms of frescoes or... Yes, there's a lot of beautiful, uh -huh. important things. Because you only hear about Pompeii. It's, it's yeah, because it's, it's Herculanum, I think, was moved. The whole villa was like moved into a museum. Not sure, but I think but, so. But Pompeii is where yeah. it used to be. Oh. It's like you go to the city of Pompeii. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, okay. Anyway, so uh, you go to the Villa of Mysteries. Yeah, the Villa of uh, Mysteries, and this is um, used to belong to, <coughs> I believe, a, a, a rich person. I think it was a woman um, who owned this uh, villa, and she was, um, or to say, that it was especially one room with this fresco. Mm which is uh, mostly in these colors, as you see here, this Sinobu mm. red, the green, and it was a lot of black and white, very strong contrasts to each other. Um, but it was belonged to a woman who, uh, uh, I think like many other at that time, uh, was devoted to a cult where they, um, what is it, uh, to Praise or? Praised uh, Dionysus, okay, yeah. the god of worship or praise, worshipped uh, uh, yeah. the god of wine. Oh. So uh, this fresco is kind of um, uh, devoted to Dionysus, and it's like a wedding, mm -hmm. um, uh, where he's part of it. And uh, well, there's different things happening. It's quite in interesting to to look at it. It's mm. quite. Um, yeah, how, how do you... Fantasy-like. Um, <laughs> uh, but that raises the question of this. Well, you have that. It goes like across two or three walls. Like, yeah, it's it? a yeah. whole room. Yeah, yeah. It's a whole room, which is... Uh, it's like a living room. Mm -hmm. And the f it's from top to bottom. The fresco fills all the walls. And mm. so you're like surrounded with them. Mm. And they are a full size. So the, the persons are in full size. Yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking about. I mean, you mentioned um, you mentioned that uh, Apollo figure mm. in the Vatican, and that's made by Leo Carus, who was one of the uh, prime sculptors making the the original mausoleum, which mm. is the reason for the term mausoleum mm. uh, for the king uh, Mausolus and and his wife. Mm. And you have uh, Leo Carus frieze in the British Museum. Mm -hmm. And uh, I want to hear what you th thought about that. This whole idea of getting a rhythm to flow, uh, connecting different figures, uh, because Leocaris is just a master at that. Mm. And you see it, of course, also in, in the in the um, uh, Parthenon mar marbles in, mm. in, 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 in the British Museum. Mm. Did you think about that when it came to the Villa Mystery? Like how 
one figure can sort of the energy of mm. one figure continues in another. I just thought of it right now. I just wanted to hear it. When I when I was in, when in I, the when, Villa when of Mistress. There, yeah. What what concerned you the most? Yeah, I don't I don't think really I thought so much about the movement actually, because mm. Mm. somehow fresco is is a very nice technique, but I, I think it it lacks actually the, the possibility that you can make this movement. Mm -hmm. You're not so free to do whatever you want in a fresco mm -hmm. style. Because mm -hmm. you have to be very aware of how you make it, in which layer it's like, uh, when you paint it, it's like it's, the painting is locked in mm -hmm. to the, the, the stucco. Mm. Uh, so it's, uh, it's like a, it dries immediately. Mm. Um, of course, you can add movement, but they are not, they're quite, a they're a little stiff actually, but uh, oh. the colors are yeah. so... Um, uh, not so strong. They're more. Uh, they're strong in its way, but they are <laughs> soft. So it's kind. It's it's a movement without uh, the people in the in the frieze are having any movement. If you mm. know what I mean. It's like yeah, because what I was thinking about it. It, it um, if, you know, it's the difference between watching a YouTube video from there <laughs> and being there. Mm. <laughs> uh, but like in the beginning there, where this woman sort of comes from the door. And uh, what I was getting at is one thing that struck me, at least, when, when looking at Leo Cars, looking at the Partenon Frieze, is that, like in the Partenon Frieze, you have the horses, then you have the whole mm. um, procession there. Yes. And they're calm in the beginning, and then you get more movement, and you have the horse rearing, and mm. it calms down, there's a figure stopping them, and then you get uh, slow, uh, more calm figures after that. Thing. Mm. So you have the different figures... Uh, being in some way the same figure at different stages of movement. Mm. So not that it seems like they're really sort of rushing along, but, but yeah. sort of that they are they are connected through sort of being mm -hmm. like like these typical things you would see from the uh, 19th century early photography. You see uh, the figure Every. running, being photographed. You see it, 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 it's mm. moving uh, as it goes along. Mm. Um, yeah, but but okay. So what what interested you the most and or struck you the most with the uh, with the frescoes of Pompeii. Oh, oh well, it's especially the Villa Mystery. And, yeah, um, I think it was the colors mostly, yeah. and uh, and also the. Um, it, it, they are full size, so you feel very. There are like, uh, they're there in real. It's not just mm. like a far away painting of something nice, uh, mm. colorful. It's like we had the feeling that there has been really some people here doing these paintings. <laughs> mm. Feel very near, kind mm. of. If that mm. explains it. Mm. Uh, and also, in, in compared to other fresco, these are very shiny. The, I think they use some kind of wax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, At the end, yeah. to sort of seal part it. of it, yeah. like a bee wax. Yeah. So they are very shiny. So you know, they, they looked more juicy than other frescoes. But that's, kind that's of. I mean, that's a, <laughs> a very yeah. That's a solid argument for for the fresco technique. I mean, when you can survive a pyroclastic stream mm. uh, yeah. <laughs> and a volcanic eruption, it's like, yeah. it's like maybe I should start doing frescoes. <laughs> yeah, they are actually. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good. Uh, that's a good idea. Um, but did you see those in uh, Naples at the the archaeological museum? No, I actually haven't. Oh. I haven't seen it. But because I saw. That's one thing I wanted to mention. Uh, that, that struck me when we were there we're doing the the um, uh, Hunter Bird Merger documentary. Mm. Especially one 
seen, and of course they've been really worn down, so it's sort of, sort of like a latician technique. <laughs> and uh, I remember one image, you know, you know the sick child by, by Munch? Mm-hmm. You have that, those hands there that are almost not drawn at all, it's just like, what, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, all the calls, especially one hand there, calls it like a, a, a pig's... Uh, Foot or whatever foot, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. because it doesn't look like it's like don't don't learn hands from monkey yeah. it's not that hand um but anyway it, the, the that extremely sober sort of gray reddish tone against mm. something of the same value which is more greenish so you get that extremely sensitive and very very mm. you know rich uh, complementary contrast mm. and I, I saw looking at that fresco uh, being damaged it was like seeing something that Munch could have made. Mm. That was that was an amazing thing, and I, I remember also, yeah, you know, just think about what what you can learn fr- learn from that. It's like that was one sort of confirmation, although that was not intended f- when it was made. Um, but then I remember one thing that really struck me. It was a scene where there's a woman. Uh, th- this is a museum in Naples. There's a mm. woman reclining on on this um, what do you call it? Like, <coughs> this is sort of sofa thing. And there's a, I think like a soldier, or how is it? Like if you're seeing it, if you're watching it, uh, he's here and she's reclining here. He's coming in from the entrance there. And it was the whole middle of it was quite scaled down. So it was Mm. obviously much more clear in the forms. But the way it appeared was just striking because the the most important thing was the light coming down here on the the floor and on the feet. Mm. And everything was just sort of in this sort of more mysterious shadow. And I was thinking, wow. When you can do that, because it worked, it mm. wasn't like some romance of the ruins. You know, mm. it, it really worked mm. that you can have some light, little bit of light down there, and you can have the figures totally in shadow, and they were the most important things still. And this was a fresco. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But I think that was were taken from from Pompeii, but it mm. might have been Herculaneum. Yes, probably. Yeah. I, I there were there yeah. are there there are some moves to museums. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But did you, you you talked to me once uh, about uh, when we were planning this conversation that you were thinking about doing a fresco course? Yes, uh, to attending a fresco yeah, course. Yeah yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was supposed to be doing that, <laughs> but then came Corona and mm. I I wasn't able to travel. Mm. I was it was I was going to attend a course in Sardinia. Mm. Um. But I haven't been there yet. Right, right, okay. Mm. So, anything you want to want to say about that? Because, I mean, do you, do no, I think I think uh, I don't know. I've always missed um, the culture from the south, like the Italian culture in mm. Norway. I think it's so poor mm. <laughs> when you come to see public buildings or where are the sculptures in the parks. You know, there's really nothing. I think we have one Roda in Oslo, but yeah, it's not yeah. really. I mean, it was so nice to. If it was just a corner, it was a little Madonna. If you're entering the police station, it was a fresco. It's like mm. going to the park. It was a nice uh, goddess looking down at you. So I kind of <laughs> had this idea. I wanted to uh, to bring the fresco here. <laughs> mm-hmm. But do you, have you seriously thought of doing frescoes? Like literally yes, yes, doing frescoes? Of course, yeah. Okay. Uh, and but- also because I've always been striving to kind of paint as if it was a fresco, so why not just do a fresco? Well, how, how so? Like, how would you paint as if it was fresco? You mean the way figures are arranged, or they actually try to use the technique? 
phosphatinic in well, oil somehow, or well, I would say I would I try to paint as if it was a fresco and worn out mm -hmm. after a hundred years, <laughs> <laughs> kind of the top layer after that, uh, um, which is actually nicer than it when it's new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so I mean, that's what I mean. Mm. That's a fresco. Yeah, it's strange how that that reoccurs. Um, you know, uh, we always have at the, at the end of this conversation, you know, we, uh, we talk about uh, Apelles and that he would work uh, really long with his, his his work. And I think he was also known for sort of like a technique machia, like late Titian uh, technique. And that that was so striking. Uh, again, when we were doing that, the Hunt of Adnerdrum went to, to Florence to see the, the, um, the Brancacci chapel there mm -hmm. with Masaccio. And what most likely happened is that, well, well, we know that Titian stopped there and studied mm. that. And I think also uh, Nodrum writes about it in uh, in the Masterworks uh, book. Uh, saw those worn pictures and decided to make pictures as if they were, uh, mm. well, then, yes, a couple it, hundred years old. Yeah. Uh, mm. I think it's time to do some questions from the audience before we get into sort of um, a couple of other things I wanted to, to ask you about. Uh, so this is a question from Instagram. Um, uh, was she, um, were you influenced or interested in the sculptural aspects of the excavated Pompeii victims? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next question. The one who are like yeah, turning like this? The, the, the casts are the... Sort of the, <clears throat> yeah, the, the <laughs> because they were, had no time to flee, so they were like taken by the volcano ashes or uh, something. Else. Did you see them? Uh, I have to think. I think they're all at museums. I don't think they're like they're not left they're not in the streets. <laughs> no, I think I don't think so. so. Oh, sorry, <laughs> I have to like uh, memorize. I don't think uh, I really see. But that that was. I think someone is like uh, if there's something into the wall, but no, I don't really don't remember the, that. No, you weren't concerned with that. So, yeah. No, uh, I've seen one thing that was that was really a shocking image. They, like they were conserving these well casts, basically plaster mm. casts, and there's an older man, and he's carrying this like two, three-year-old boy, mm. and it just becomes that. That was really uh, mm. impressed itself upon him because he's carrying this dead boy. Mm. That was, uh, it was because some of these these. Um, of plastic casts are amazingly detailed. Mm. Like in that moment, they were yeah, caught. They had no time to flee. Yeah, because they I, came so they came so quick. I remember when I was living in Iceland, I talked to a Canadian studying uh, well, volcanology or what do you call it, yeah. um, and he talks about this how that. Well, I, I I'm on thin ice. Mm. I guess that's a pyroclastic storm, just sort of dust that's burning hot and just sort of boils or burns mm. you it's mm. uh, just around you all at once so you get the expression of the face even it's just mm. amazing yeah. uh, I, i've mm. wanted to, uh, to to bring my children to see that <laughs> <laughs> here's another one quite general uh, uh, question um what needs to be done to master painting one sentence <laughs> What needs to be done to master paintings? Well, I, to, to master, I understood the question as what needs to be done to master the craft of painting. Ah. I think perhaps, well, I guess it's sort of a similar thing that we were talking about in the beginning, like what is the most important thing you need to 
to understand so that mm. well i think uh, first of all you have to practice a lot with your handcraft mm. you have to master the handcraft um, and when you do that you you are able to tell the story through your handcraft mm. um, and uh, and also to be what you're telling is something you have to be interested in so what you're painting is something you you yourself have to find interest in there's a bit there has to be a desire for the motif <laughs> a desire yeah. so passion you, for it so we endure working with that yeah. shit so you, you really <laughs> because it's hard work would love it to to yeah. work out yeah mm. So it's like handcraft uh, and uh, and of course the motif that you believe in it yourself and not believe in it, but you burn for it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, is there anything you would like to add on the, the whole idea of, of the, the muses or, you know, learning from Greek sculpture or learning from like how you you study these things and you try to make it... Oh, you get into sort of art cliches, your own. <laughs> your own. Like, like how do I you use say, it? Yeah, I kind of, for me, it was very deliberating um, that I, you know, one thing is that all the stories with the, mm. the, the gods. Liberating. Liberating. Yeah. Mm. Uh, with the gods and goddesses. Uh, and, you know, how these, so liberating do you mean? No, it's because these, you know, these stories are from over 2000, they're more than 2000 years old. Yeah. And I feel very close to them, kind of. It's like, it's not, I think okay. of them as to this thousand year old. They're very amusing. They're very interesting. And mm. it's like philosophical as well. So, and also the, the way they created paintings and scenes, mm. uh, it's more crazy kind of than what I have done. So it's like, I feel very conservative <laughs> compared to <laughs> these frescoes I saw them. Mm, mm. And for me, it was like, uh, Big step behind, back, and but really like okay, look at all the, what has been done, and now I have to myself paint something which is uh, as good as this. Yeah, but uh, uh, it's, it's a striking formulation, formulation uh, to formulate it that way. That it's liberating, and we're not talking the art cliche thing about liberating yourself from blah blah craft and such. Mm. Um, uh, because I, I, I as list, list of viewers will know, I'm quite concerned with Joseph Campbell and his, what he talks about when it comes to myths. And I think my idea, or my approach to it is at least that when you go into that, you know, well, it's just, well, I'm basically just saying the same thing as you're saying, that it, it sort of disintegrates time. Mm. It's not nothing about how I have to behave in this time, and and that's that's the sort of the limits, the mm. prison that you're in, and, and I, the, that's when I understand the word liberating, and that's yeah, that it sort of gives you a much grander uh, field or, or, or mm. soil to work work with, so to speak. Yeah. Yes, mm. it's quite yeah. Uh, next topic I wanted to to talk with you about because there's an interview with you on your website in mm. Norwegian, but. Or is it in English too? I think it's in Norwegian. Mm. Uh, but you said something there about androgenity. Speaking of a self-portrait, uh, I think we'll, we can link to your website so people can find that self-portrait that you talk about there. Uh, maybe we could talk about that first because uh, there's something in the um, in these Greek Greek Roman collections uh, or the, the sculptures 
about the, the hermaphrodite and, or the, the um, androgenity that I think was really, really interesting that you highlighted in that interview. So mm. first and foremost, your self-portrait. Mm. The self-portrait uh, self with, with oh. a pipe? Yeah. Is that, yeah. yeah. That was, uh, <laughs> well, the short story behind it is that back to Rome, we lived in an apartment. Uh, which was uh, also set quite back in time. It was as, as if somebody has left the apartment in the 50s. And, uh, so the real know, old days. <laughs> really, you know, even this, it smelled like it. <laughs> oh my God, in the wrong way. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and um, and uh, on, in this apartment, it was um, two things. It was uh, many things, but amongst all them, two things. It was a big uh, cabinet. With a lot of pipes, like he is probably the man who used to live had a collection with pipes, mm. in everything from the small one to like the big one, which like hanging down here and with a little lock on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was uh, fascinated by these pipes, and it was also in this it had a little office, a little library, an office, and in this office it was a small photo of Umberto Nobile. He was the flight uh, captain of uh, the, uh, call it Zeppelin, do you call it Zeppelin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, which was named Norge. He was together with Amundsen yeah. uh, doing this trip with this Zeppelin over the North Pole, I think. Mm. Anyway, so I thought it was funny that this Umberto Noble photo was there. It was very strict with like a military suit. And it was probably dedicated to the person who used to live in this apartment. They kind of knew each other. Mm. Um, or maybe the father of the person. Yeah, well. Yeah. So anyway. it was, uh, and I was going to start a new self-portrait. So I, um, <coughs> you know, I had like Umberto Nobile here and the pipes. And it's like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> what can we do about this? This is how self-portraits sometimes I made. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, so it became quite masculine self-portrait mm. with a uniform and a pipe. Yeah, because mm. it, um, if you remember, can mm. you reiterate, like repeat the points that you made in that uh, interview? Because I thought that was really to the point. You were talking about why it should be sort of, well, not necessarily androgen, but, but sort of more, uh, not strictly masculine, not strictly feminine. Yes, well, it's, it becomes maybe boring if a, if a man is very masculine and a woman is just beautiful in a painting. It's like you mm. have to, they have to adopt something of each other mm-hmm. to become more real, kind of, because mm-hmm. uh, I think many people are a little mix, even if we are man and woman. This uh, little crossover is sometimes in- interesting and um, makes the, the character more interesting, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what I thought about when, when you said that or when I read that is we've been talking about it uh, um, also or, or uh, Bork, our producer, was, was talking about how um, or, you, know, you have the concept, the Janus face, mm-hmm. which is the, the double side. It is not just one thing. And um, it's the same thing that when you, for example, I always use that, use that example with, with the, the playing of Marshall's partition that his head is of course upside mm. down but visually then you see a smile okay yeah. but it is his mouth going you know mm. really being dragged down mm. it's 
fundamentally you know, tragic. So you see that when you, when you sort of flip him the right way, mm-hmm. you see that, that the tragedy of his, of his uh, face. Because if you compare that with that, that by uh, Ribera, Mm-hmm. And it's just screaming. You know, it's like uh, I think I talked with Stefan Bolter about it. It's like a 1920s tap, tap dancer. You know, mm-hmm. it's like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, so I think that was the connection I saw. That that it's not just sort of mono, only this, only mm-hmm. screaming, but it's in Titian's case you have it's some kind of a similarity with you know mixing the feminine and the masculine. That there's mm-hmm. not only tragedy, but there's some of this weird smile. Mm-hmm. Which which seems contra- counterintuitive, but but still needs to be there. So it's not just sort of just only one thing. Mm. Um, mm. But but didn't you talk about also Leonardo in that context? Leonardo, uh, maybe. Well, I think Leonardo's characters is yeah. it's a good mix, kind of. It's yeah. like uh, if you think about John the Baptist, uh, I think he's quite similar oh, yeah. to Mona Lisa. I mean, I think they all yeah. look like each other. Yeah. <laughs> kind of, they have this yeah. eternal. Uh, man-woman face. It's like, uh, yeah. as we also talked about, if you use many models in one painting, you becomes maybe the perfect person, yeah. or you get the best of everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have these stories from ancient Greece, uh, right? For example, the the uh, Venus of Milo, isn't it? Mm. Uh, where, uh, yeah, names again. Sculptor uses the five most beautiful uh, virgins from the city and mm. and sort of. Sort of copy pastes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Collect af- them attributes. into one face. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think yeah, it's like an ideal look mm-hmm. of a human, and uh, and you don't really think about it. It becomes they become more closer to gods than to humans, but uh, yeah, still yeah. Maybe that whole story by Plato of, of man and woman being one figure. Mm. And well, they, they had, they, when they were running, they had to sort of. Um, jump down on their hands and then sort of like a wheel mm. uh, run down wherever they were going because they had four hands and four four legs and uh, yeah. Well, so, Herm- well Herm- but Hermaphrodite is actually supposed to be the perfect um, result because it's the child made of Hermes and, and Aphrodite, so yeah. Hermaphrodite. Right, the perfect melting of... So if you only get one child, you get a Hermaphrodite. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay. but, <clears throat> but another thing you mentioned in that article, uh, that in- interview, was this thing about cliches. Cliches, yeah. yeah. Cliches yeah. are often true. Yeah. Mm. So that's why you don't shun away from, from them. No, I think don't be afraid of them, but you don't <laughs> have to fall into it. <laughs> you just have to. Well, I think you have to make it much better. Than, I mean, if you can make a really good cliche, then it's... Mm. That that's that's a weird thing. If you make something that is really a, a cliche or things that mm. you really have seen before, mm. but it's so much better than what you generally see in the, of that that motif, for example, mm. then people think, oh, it's a new thing. Mm. But the new thing is just the higher quality. Yeah, it's like depicting love. I mean, love yeah. is a cliche, but it's still something you can recognize yourself in. So. Yeah. And you mentioned that in that in that interview uh, that when you if you're making a sort of loving couple mm. uh, or an embrace or whatever uh, you you talked about getting away from the commercial image mm. and am I understanding you correctly that I mean this ties into what you said about uh, so that liberation from 
you know, or libera liberation into sort of the general mythology or general sort of more timeless way of thinking, um, that what goes into your mind comes out through your hand. So if you're not conscious about, uh, you know, <laughs> if you're just sort of someone who sort of mirrors the commercials of your time, then... <laughs> that's if you the... see too much commercial, <laughs> commercial posters. <laughs> yeah. That's the wrong kind of cliche then. Yeah, I think yeah. Um, then we're like a little back to if you're only going to copy from paint, no, from a photo and not from mm. real life. Mm. It's easy to copy a, a commercial. Let's say you're a child who likes to draw and paint and you don't have it learned it yet. It's easy to take a commercial and mm. copy it mm. and um, mm. it can be a little too much maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I think that that's why that introduction to general mythology and you don't have to illustrate mythology directly necessarily but to understand sort of the basic psychology yes. of it or uh, yes yeah. you have to understand the story behind it and not mm. just the surface of it you have to go into it and yeah and yeah and and what about self-portraits that that that, that i almost started <laughs> laughing that, that i thought that was such a wonderful way to phrase it well i mentioned it in the beginning mm. uh, that it's not it's not a it's not therapy it's not a therapy <laughs> yeah <laughs> for many maybe it is but for me it's not uh, it's not a therapy to make uh, self-portraits but um, maybe i can avoid going to therapy <laughs> because i play all my roles out yeah. through the self-portraits i'm everything from a man yeah. to a demon to a Goddess, so mm. I kind of have uh, taken all the mental stages I yeah. can possibly think of uh -huh. through the self-portraits, yeah. Uh -huh. And you can test out different uh, test out. characters. and Yeah, it's like you, you become an actor through mm. your self-portraits and, and you need to, to know all the, the roles. Mm. So, we're ending this on a very unartistic note. <laughs> <laughs> Elena Knop, thank you for coming to the Cave of Palace. Thank you. And I'd like to thank our top sponsors, Michael Moscow, Jared Fountain, Marco Campos, Stacy Evangelista, Alistair Blaine, Sean Roberts, and Eric Lasky for making this show possible. And remember, you can go to patreon.com slash and support our show there. I'll see you next month. <laughs>